This is a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne, truly independent community radio. Hello and welcome to Backstory, the show about books, the craft of writing and the people behind the lines. I'm Mel Cranenberg and today on Backstory we have a lot. A local festival, an inner Melbourne writers festival, is bringing home just how much local talent there really is. Fitzroy Writers Festival is coming up early next month and joining me to talk about it is comedian and author Justin Hazelwood and City of Yarra Mayor Danae Bosler. That's coming up later in the show, but very, very soon. Choice Words, a collection of writing about abortion, has just been released. Editor by Stella Prize Chair Louise Swin and filled with thoughtful, moving stories poetry and essays by authors including Claudia Carvin, Clem Bastow, Michelle Law, Laura Jean, Melanie Chang, Monica Ducks and Amy Gray to mention just a few. I will be joined very very soon by Monica, Amy and editor Lou Swin to talk about the collection and why abortion rights is still such a pressing issue in Australia. Three triple R you're listening to Backstory on Triple R. I'm Mel Cranenberg and the show is Backstory. So the fight for reproductive rights has been a long and fraught one and recently Ireland fought and won a referendum to allow legal abortions and Queensland has just recently appealed some of the legislative barriers to surgical abortions as well. But there are still parts of Australia where free and legal abortions are difficult to access and even in parts of the country, like Melbourne, where the right to choose is much more accessible, this still remains something that's very little talked about, even though a huge number of people have had an abortion. A new book, Choice Words, hopes to address the topic of abortion with a collection of thoughtful essays and stories and poetry by people who have thought very, very deeply on the subject. Editor Louise Swin and writers Monica Ducks and Amy Gray join me now to talk about their contribution to Choice Words. Amy, Monica and Lou, welcome to Backstory. Hello, Mel. <laughs> now, I, um, I really... This is a book that I deeply regret not spending more time with. I have read your stories and I've read some of the others in the collection, but I really was loath to kind of leave it. This has just been a horrendously busy week. I very much recommend the book to people because, you know, this is not some kind of a, a polemic. A pro-choice polemic. It is actually this incredibly thoughtful, thought-provoking, nuanced collection. So congratulations, firstly. Thank you. Um, Lou, I would like to talk to you about um, why you decided to put this collection together. Well, the collection itself was the brainchild of publisher at Alan Umman, Kelly Fagan, who had experienced, who had known some friends who had been in places where access to abortion was supposed to be um, possible and had found it very, very difficult. And in her position as publisher, I think that she decided that she had a role to play and so she decided that she was going to put out this kind of book and then, um, fortunately, my agent put me onto this and immediately it appealed to me because it's um, my kind of feminism. Yeah, um, and I really think that, that the choices of, of the stories in this book are, are particularly interesting. Um, I do want to talk to my two other guests here about their stories in particular. But Lou, I, I would love you and I don't want you to choose from among mm. your children mm. um, in this collection, um, but I do want you to talk about it. Children's any. a funny It's choice. an awful <laughs> choice of words. I immediately regretted it. equally. Okay, as soon as I said that. Let's just get let's all just of this out, out of the way yeah. um, right now. But yeah, there, look, it 
it is actually interesting you saying that because mm. I think this is particularly why people have uh, an issue with discussing some of these mm. things because it is extremely loaded. Um, even for people who are, you know, really you know, incredibly pro-choice. It doesn't mean that this is not a challenging topic. So I really do want you to talk about, um, are there any pieces in this that that particularly spoke to you? Um, you do have a piece in this, of course, mm. um, but I would love you to, to talk about anything that, that you came across. Um, I think that, uh, uh, yeah, I mean, I love them all. I think what I what I liked having read lots of the personal stories was then I got to there's a longer story um, that details kind of some history uh, about um, abortions that have happened and what used to happen in in the old days and how they used to refer to these things obviously not using words like abortion and so I think that the surprise for me um, was finding how recently some of these stories uh, these real stories were and I guess that yeah I can't really pick one but I, I did really love finding all of those pieces of non-fiction as well as the fiction that I just knew would appeal to me um, there's also a graphic piece which uh, I think naturally I kind of assumed that we'd have graphic I just always think of graphics as being very funny and you know light-hearted and um, it deals with this incredibly tough uh, story and it's just incredibly powerful the use of words and graphics from um sarah firth in that piece but yeah i can't choose yeah it's well sorry it's a (laughs) this is terrible um I I do have to say that, you know, there's a piece in here by Maxine Benita Clark, which is a poem that really just absolutely punches you in the face, um, where she's kind of challenging, you know, the, this kind of the pat sort of, it's your access to choice and talking about it as a person of colour and that mm. actually, you know, um, the archetypes that come with, uh, with pregnancy as uh, someone, particularly someone who's a single parent to be, um, or someone who's, you know, really facing that because it's uh, the choice doesn't feel as much of a choice Mm. um, in those instances and Mm. she really does grapple with the complexities of that Um, it's an incredible poem as well on this topic that I would recommend um, Mm. definitely to readers Monica I want to say uh, your contribution to this the silent scream uh, just is just hilarious in some ways but also awful awful it is uh, it is other ways but also i was upset but i don't know i mean a lot of listeners might have seen the silent scream or heard of it i hadn't actually seen it which of course is that terrible uh anti-choice film from Mm. the 70s but yeah i look i wrote that piece i Thinking, oh, it was kind of funny because it's just so ridiculous. And I think a lot of the anti-choice rhetoric is at its heart ludicrous, doesn't make sense. But what shocked me the most about that film was not just that it was silly, but that it was really shot through with a lot of quite overt lies. And I'm not talking about ideological lies here. I'm talking about the the whole. Set. So of course, the whole setup of the Silent Scream is that. If you haven't seen it, in, um, you can find it on YouTube. In utero, a, a 12-week <laughs> fetus uh, makes a screaming gesture when it is um, terminated. And no, it doesn't. It just doesn't. And But I think being brought up very Catholic, I always had a little part of me that thought maybe there was some truth mm. to that. And I hadn't intellectually really thought it through in the last few decades. I hadn't sat down and thought, maybe a baby does scream. Because I've always been pro-choice since I... 
you know, grew up. But I, I still think there was a little kernel of what is it that is experienced. And what's funny is you watch this film and it's, it's just so nasty because, I mean, Planned Parenthood at the time had put out a big rebuke to the film in the 70s and there were many uh, rejoinders to it. But essentially saying, well... You can't, you can't, there is no scream in, in a, you know, first and second trimester. It, it, it just doesn't happen. This is physiologically not possible. But when, and when I watched the film, I was waiting to see, well, how do they do this? What's a special effect? There's not even a special effect. You don't even, and, and someone suggested it was a chin flap, that what actually they're pointing to is the chin flap of this um, fetus. So I think the silent chin flap is, just doesn't <laughs> quite ring it. But in, the same in way. your inimitable style, of course, you've managed to, to make, to find humour in this. But actually, what you're describing is, you know, children being terrorised really being mm. made to be scared of something, which is a very different thing to say, giving them, you know, really real information about well, and, what's and happening. And that's part of the, I mean, that's part of the lies of this film is that what they have, and you've got all this rubbish where you're imagining, you're seeing the silent chin flap. But in the last, you know, fifth of it, they actually just show these really horrific images of um, what could be late-term abortions or stillborns and, you know, babies in jars and, like, you know, it just... It, it just has no context. Mm. And the, what horrifies me is that you have these teenagers and it's still being shown. I had someone email me the other day saying in WA that their, their daughter had seen it a couple of years ago. So this film still does the rounds at Catholic schools, some Catholic schools. But you're really just, you're really traumatising young children who shouldn't, you know, don't need to see those images and they have no context for the film. They, they And just, your story, I mean, you actually didn't watch it at school so no. you just went through having heard no. about it and that's what your piece is about is, is is thinking that you've got this kind of background information and then as an adult finally getting yeah, to watch and I, it I think that's why for me I just was so absurd I think if I'd seen it maybe I would mm. have some vague memory but I really I went to watch it thinking I wonder what they've done and it's mm. like oh god you mm. know it's just awful now, if you've just joined us, you're listening to Backstory on 3 R. I'm Mel Cranenberg, and I'm joined by uh, editor Lou Swin, uh, Monica Ducks, and Amy Gray, who are all um, involved in Choice Words, a collection of writing about abortion. Um, Amy, I do want to talk about your contribution as well. You've uh, written a story entitled Against Choice, and you've really kind of gone and talked to people who are in the kind of, I guess, anti-choice movement who are out there protesting. Uh, yeah. And it's a really interesting coverage and I'd, lo- I'd love you to discuss this story. I um, I actually went... I used to live right near the old Wainer Clinic, which is now the Fertility Control Clinic in East Melbourne, and I would see these people every morning on my you know way around uh, getting stuff done. And it took me about three goes to get them to agree to be interviewed. Um, they're very scared, hostile people, um, not only from what they do but from the reaction that they fear, um, completely disagreeable in so many ways. But it was interesting to take that opportunity to finally sit with them mm-hmm. and see what it was like for them to protest, not from a I'm going to build empathy sort of way because there is no empathy for people like that because they display none as well. It was more about why are you doing this? What are the actual steps in your brain that make you come out here every day when you know that you are hated? Mm -hmm. And they are, they're absolutely hated. And so it was 
just a really good chance to actually show what it was like for the clinic defenders who were also profiled, but also the anti-choice um, protesters and what they do why they do it and the cognitive leaps that they're just unable to make. Like you sit there and you talk with them and they're all pro single mothers. They're, you know, they were very, very educated on welfare systems and what should happen and here and that. But then the minute you talk to them about contraception, whether here or abroad. This kind of cognitive dissonance. Yeah. Yeah, it, it's a really interesting piece because I think you are humanising people within it. Like you're definitely, uh, as you say, there's no no empathy when it comes to actual regard for another's um, mm. thought processes um, because they're kind of leaps of <laughs> logic. Um, but I also think what's really interesting about it is that, you know, this you, you describe at one stage one of the, the protesters basically coming out um, even though they you know, really seem to want to be literally anywhere else. And I think it's a level of kind of commitment to this that is incredibly interesting, quite apart from anything else. It's really hard to think about empathy with these people. So it's not... I'm not trying to show empathy. I'm trying to explain them just because so often we think of them as caricatures. And I think Mm. the one thing that this debate does not... Um, that doesn't help it is that we view a lot of this in the binary of caricature. It's either you're a killer or you're Mm. not a killer or a choice or not a choice. It's not. The whole concept of pro-choice is that you, you understand that there's a whole range of options. And so when you think about these protesters um, who are, you know, trying to curtail freedom, one of the things that really struck me is many, many years ago, one of the original um, cam girls of the internet movement, she was brought up in a fundamentalist Christian environment and she described it as saying they're crazy people but at the same time they're driven because they think everyone's in a burning house and they just want to get them out mm-hmm. of there. Mm-hmm. It makes it understandable but at the same time, you know, like that one woman who I talk about in the story... She was turning up every day knowing full well that she was hated. She would wince and recoil every time someone shouted back at her, very rightfully. But she didn't understand how she was contributing to that situation. And so, again, it goes back to these cognitive dissonance, but still they turn up. I, I think that's really interesting too. That um, and I love Amy's piece so much. But you know, th- the fact that you went and spoke to these people, and th- they are on the extreme end, though. Mm. But I think what you know, looking at what Lou's set out to do with this collection, is one of the problems that I think makes everything so much harder is that the dominant narrative that we all live by is we either don't talk about it Mm. and when we do all a little bit uncomfortable Mm. and those shades of grey that we all sometimes indulge in are really destructive and not very helpful and I don't think I mean, th- these people outside those clinics are just a logical conclusion of that because mm. if you say, here's this little emotive thing, oh, there's a bit of misinformation, oh, and let's go into that house and save mm. those babies, and and you end up in a world where actually we don't really have choice mm. and that women, even when they experience or, or, or take advantage of the choices that they do have, 
there's always that little kernel there. Yeah, mm. I think this is a really interesting discussion and, and it's in fact the one that I, I really hope to hear more of that, you know, when we talk about reproductive rights, it's a spectrum of things and, mm. and you know, surgical abortions is just one of those. Um, but it really, I think, is the thing that drives it. Mm. Um, what we're seeing, the, the kind of rhetoric that we're seeing in the US and here, um, and I have to say this uh, is only very recently that, and this is a terrible thing to say, that I'm a privileged Melbourneian and had no idea how um, difficult it was to access um, abortions of any kind in other parts of Australia. Mm. It's still very hard in Victoria though and that's that's another one of those myths that get perpetuated that you know people like us today we could access termination if we needed to. it would be a bit of a hassle. But, uh, you know, for vast majority of people living in regional areas, people, um, you know, young people, people who don't have any form of support, people who need a later-term abortion. I mean, we have one clinic in Victoria that's operating and it's it's really hard. So I think we also tend to have this sense because our laws are really good in Victoria that it means everything follows on from there, but it doesn't. Mm. And it's interesting how little discussion there is of that. But that's so that's a really interesting point because... Just last year, I received uh, a call from a friend who was pregnant, lives metropolitan Melbourne, smart, educated, well-resourced woman, had no idea how to access an abortion Mm. whatsoever. And I didn't know what places to go through, quickly came up across the fact that it was a drawn-out process for her and then had a shocking reaction afterwards to um, the abortion as well. And there was just no information there. Mm. And so this comes back to that conversation and the communication and the education that we're giving people. Yes, it's completely inaccessible in terms of you know physical access, but also in terms of education and information. I know where my GP is. I know where major hospitals are. I know where I can find certain things for almost every different medical condition. Mm-hmm. So many of us don't know how we're going to get access to abortion. No. There's, there's a good piece in this um, by Melanie Chang, which I thought was really interesting, um, coming at this from the point of view of being a doctor uh, as well. And I think she opens with saying something to a patient where she said, you know, does a pregnancy test and says the result is negative. And, you know, mm-hmm. I guess the patient sort of challenge was, well, what's what, neg- what do you mean by yeah. negative? Like, yeah. And I think that's a really fascinating um, place to start as well because this these kinds of issues because we stray away from them even like you know that how to term what you know fetus versus child Mm, and mm. um the fact that people get very wound up in that um those who have you know and and the question that gets asked i've had a termination i've turned up and the first question asked of me was have you ever been anti-choice or have you ever been against abortion because Mm. the question is that after the fact you might have some feelings of guilt Mm. um and it's a really interesting thought because i guess this is you know, these are things that, that should be available to us, but they're not without context. And I think what you've done beautifully here is it's not just about education or a straight-up, uh, you know, argument for choice. It's actually saying even with access, this is a complicated thing mm. and we should be talking about it. Yeah, I mean, we were talking about this the other day, that there are doctors who just refuse refuse point-blank to talk about it, to refer, and the same goes even with um the morning after pill and 
uh, once you have things like that, particularly if you don't have then other doctors that you can go to easily, then your choices are limited. But there were so many people who actually didn't know that it actually still is illegal in New South Wales. Mm. I mean, when we Mm. first started the conversation, it was also illegal in Queensland, but that changed towards the end of last year. But that it's actually illegal, that it's actually against the law, seems just so archaic to me. And as long, I mean, what Amy was saying before, uh, this sense of it being something so hard to find, but if we compare it to any other medical procedure, and I think until women have access, all women have access, until our laws have caught up mm-hmm. and until our culture has a whole new understanding of it is just a medical procedure and it means very different things for lots of different people for lots of different reasons, just as so many other procedures can do the same, um, then... Yeah, then we're in a good world. But as l- that, the fact that there's all this stigma and mm. silence, it's a huge mountain to, to climb. It's an interesting one, you know, just following on from those points. About a year and a bit ago, I had a conversation with an editor from a very well-known international publication. And I said to this person, I've just been invited up to Queensland to get and in on their very first meeting to plan decriminalisation of abortion. This is a really great opportunity. Here's my pitch. And the pers- the editor came back to me and said, mm, yeah, but look, we're an international publication. What would abortion mean to someone in London or Ireland or Mexico? And I had to... They don't have them there. Which was, which was hilarious because I actually said, "Do you, you know, I had to... Very, very well-known publication. I said... Do you realise the reason why Theresa May got the Northern Ireland vote was because of abortion? Do you realise that the abortion laws in Mexico are completely all over the shop? Do you realise what's happening over in Ireland at the moment? Mm, Yeah, I don't think the world would stop and listen to a story about abortion. That's what was said to Mm. me. And then several months later, the repeal vote happened and people around the world started donating for diaspora travel Mm. and it was part of the conversation. Because the other thing is, is that that's one of the means in which we try and say that this is not an issue Mm. because it's a woman's issue, quote unquote, and then it gets swept under the carpet. Mm. There's so much more to plumb in this topic, I have to say, and I really could talk to all of you for a lot longer about it and I certainly hope that you'll have the opportunity to discuss these issues more. This book is definitely an excellent start and I'd like to, to thank you all again for coming Thanks, in. Mel. Um Luce Wynn, uh, Monica Ducks and Amy Gray. Thank you. Thank, thank you. Uh, you're listening to Backstory on 3RRR and uh, that interview that you just heard was on the collection of uh, stories in choice words, collection of stories, short stories, essays and poetry uh, all around the topic of abortion uh, covering it in really quite nuanced and uh, amazing ways. I, I can't recommend it enough. You are listening to a podcast from Australia's best-known community radio station, 3RRR, 102.7 in Melbourne. I um, am now going to introduce another couple of guests that I'm extremely excited about. Um, next month, Fitzroy Town Hall will be bursting with local literary talent. The City of Yarra Libraries is hosting a one-day festival at Fitzroy Town Hall on Saturday, April the 6th. Guests include Maxine Beneva-Clark, Alison Evans, Carly Findlay, the collective behind The Incredible Black Brow, and even award-winning author Beru's Buchani, who will be speaking, I'm sure, uh, by link-up from Manus. Be great if he's 
suddenly just turned up at the festival. That would be wonderful. Uh, comedian and author of Get Up Mum, Justin Hazelwood, will also be featuring. And he joins me now with City of Yarra Mayor Danae Bosler. Danae and Justin, welcome to Backstory. Hi, thanks for having us. Uh, Danae, you might need to correct my pronunciation of your name. How is it pronounced? It's pronounced Danai. Danai. Do you know what? I answer to anything that starts with D, mate. You're all good. It's <laughs> terrible. Um, I, I'm really impressed by the lineup at this festival. Um, it's, it's quite an incredible sort of, I guess, uh, example of just how much literary talent we have in this city, this city of literature. And it's really important to know that um, one of the real um, markers of a city of literature, in fact, to get that designation by the United Nations, you have to have uh, a lot of different things, including really a rich number of libraries, um, which is the essence of access, of equitable access to books and to, to knowledge, to computers and, and the internet for those who don't necessarily have that through other means. Um, yeah, I, I think that the City of Yarra is a really good example of that. So this is a great festival to showcase those things. Yeah, the City of Yarra is um, so proud to be hosting the Fitzroy Writers Festival. We're incredibly proud of our libraries and all the libraries we have across Yarra, including the most recent one that we redeveloped, Bagungananyan. Uh, it's an amazing, a beautiful, amazing place where, where writers can come together with young people and old people to talk about this, the, the wonder that is, uh, the, that is the written and the spoken word. And having it at the Writers' Festival at Fitzroy Town Hall really situates it right in the heart of the city of Yarra. And we had identified a bit of a, a gap in our library's program, which is an amazing program, but not actually having a Writers' Festival. And we, used, we had a children's literature festival alongside the little book room uh, a couple of years ago and the reception was just phenomenal and we realised we needed to have a specific writers festival in Fitzroy which as everyone knows is the hub of creativity in Melbourne we needed to have a writers festival right there in Fitzroy so we're really excited that we've got this inaugural writers festival coming up on Saturday the 6th. Yeah, and I, I want to talk a little bit about, um, for example, one of the keynotes, all the keynote, um, mm. Barry's Bichani. Um, this uh, is a name that some people may not have been familiar with, uh, uh, except in connection to a book that he wrote that uh, recently won the Victorian Premier's Literary Award, the overall prize as well as uh, the prize for non-fiction. Um, he is currently uh, on Manus Island. Um, he arrived there uh, as an asylum seeker, um, you know, part of our kind of swept up in our border protection policy mm-hmm. and has been there for five years. Um, why have you decided to include him in this festival? Yeah, I think he's a great addition to this festival because City of Yarra has always been really proud about supporting our refugee and our migrant community. We have banners up on our town hall saying refugees and migrants are welcome here. And we were so blown away that we've been able to get him coming via live stream. He'll be in conversation with Arnold Zabel. Um, and we have to say thanks to Fitzroy Legal Service who have organised and have supported us in making that happen. And Fitzroy Legal Service are based at Fitzroy Town Hall. So it's a really good fit. I will say, because people might wonder, uh, tickets have sold out for him, but I can announce we're going to do a late release next Monday the 25th. So watch the website. We're going to do a late release of additional tickets to his event. Now, another of the wonderful authors that is going to be at this event is Justin Hazelwood. Justin, uh, welcome to Backstory. Oh, hey. Hey, Mel. Um, And I'm really keen to talk a little bit about, because you've written a couple of books, Um, your book, Fun Employed, sort of really talked about the experience of being someone who works in the arts um, but technically obviously it's a struggle to kind of keep going um, I I guess is that sort of something that you've thought a lot more about while writing your second book and doing all the other arts work that you have done I think about it every day I was just thinking about it then uh, <laughs> how am I going to pay my rent no it's fine uh, yeah it's sort of a self-help meets self 
cry for help. But it's been great. The amount of emails I get, well, not just, I guess it's a bit more sporadic now, but um, every now and then an artist will just go, hey, read your book. Sometimes they go, found it in the bargain bin. Ha, ha, ha. Like they'll think, I think that's funny. I'm like, that's just part of the book industry. They have to, anyway. Uh, so, and they go, you know, it really helped me at a tough time. And, and that, talk about, you know, whatever struggles I might be having, the fact that you do put all this work into a book and then send it out into the world. It only takes one or two nice emails, to, you know, to have a connection with someone that's read it and then have them say it's helped them. Um, which is ironic because actually what I was trying to do is I'm so competitive that I was trying to psych everyone out out of being an artist so that I could just clear the way for myself by saying how hard it is. So <laughs> funny, hey. Well, it doesn't seem to have worked, unfortunately, because there's the still kids plenty still, of people uh, making those crazy decisions. You go to Velvet Fridge Festival and it's just like, it's like cannon fodder, just another <laughs> swarm of like excitable, spiky-haired, blue-eyed things coming at you. I want to talk about uh, your next book, which I think will be probably the topic of discussion that you'll be having when you make your appearance at this uh, this local festival. Yes. Um, Get Up Mum. Can mm. you tell us a little bit about the book? I guess Get Up Mum, for those who might know a bit about me or The Bedroom Philosopher, this is sort of like my prequel. This is the back, the backstory that's an important one that's part of the when I was 12 and 13 I was, you know, kicking about in Burnie in Tasmania, being an only child, living with my mum in a little brick unit. And, you know, we got along. My mum's a beautiful person and I went to school and I was just trying to be a cool kid and get into Ninja Turtles and doing all the stuff. But then, meanwhile, there was mum's um, schizophrenia, severe mental illness that she had that just kept appearing and disappearing and she'd be well and then she'd be sick and then she'd be well and so I had this uh, this enormous universe of um, chaos that that mental illness brings into one's life, and I was essentially a child carer um, most of my childhood. A term which I only figured out about six months ago. I didn't even know it existed. Mm-hmm. So I just really wanted to tell that story, and I didn't necessarily want to do the whole. Oh yes, I remember that Christmas back in the nineties, and. I'm going to sum up a whole month in a few lines. I actually spent a whole book on just one year in my life and wrote it from the perspective of my cool little dude, Hazy, who's my 12-year-old self, who's basically me but just with more of an asymmetrical bowl cut. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Now, you've done a bit of a mixtape uh, to go with this, or that's how you've been phrasing it. It's on CD. I have it here. Um, I'd like to play a bit, um, if you don't mind introing it. Yeah. I may, and I apologise to listeners, um, have some technical difficulties playing this. I'm going to do my best. Here I was thinking I might bring in a tape and ask if you had a tape deck. And here you are struggling with the archaic <laughs> format of CD. Don't judge me. How quickly have things changed? Totally. So what are we about to hopefully hear? Look, I'll just say that it's, you might say, how on earth can you write authentically about what it's like to be 12? Well, my childhood hobby was obsessively secretly recording my family on tape and I'd sit the cassette deck under some cushions and press record and wait for Nan and Pop to be hilarious and that was my toy and so I kept all the tapes and they've really helped me um, write the book and so I just wanted to bring in a little sample which is uh, pre-introduced by Hazy doing his Megamix Hazelwood highlights which is sort of Hey Hate Saturday meets an only child from Bernie. Okay, I'm going to have a go at playing this. Let's let's see what comes out. 
<laughs> the ominous sound of dead air is coming out at the moment. Um, track one. Yeah, we, we've got it on track one. We'll see if um, it seems to be playing. For some reason, it's not coming through the panel. Not quite sure what's going on there. Let's have another go. I might try and go out on this uh, track. Can you maybe have a little chat about what it is that we would have been hearing? Howdy, folks, and welcome to the best of the Hazelwood tape. Coming up in the next few hours, you'll hear from Mum, Nan, Pop, Justin, Uncle Nigel, Uncle Ken, and some of the magic moments from the Hazelwood family. First up, we've got our favourite holiday destination, Crayfish Creek. When we get the ultimate lineup of Uncle Nigel, Uncle Ken, Mum, Nan, Pop, and myself, there's going to be some crazy hijinks. Sound of tape stopping. Nan. Ah, who let the door open for the mozzies to get in? Justin, that was you. No, I wasn't. It was Ken. He just came in and no, but I saw you. You held it open the longest. Ah, oh, this place is alive with mozzies. There's, there's mozzies up there just to get that. No, 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 stop hitting. <laughs> now I'm 100% kind of not sorry about my technical ineptitude. That was brilliant. Oh, thanks. Um, can this, so this book is out right now. Um, I really I love that that you're kind of covering these issues that I think are obviously incredibly personal ones in, in the way that you are because it, it makes them so much more accessible. Um, but is this now a topic that you think you're going to be writing more about or do you feel like, you know, you're going to be moving on to other parts of your life? Because it does seem like your writing at the moment, like your comedy, very much draws out these sort of, um, you know, quite melancholic themes but in this incredibly humorous way. Um, yes, no, the answer to that. Um, I guess the, uh, the book Get Up Mum has been a lot of an incredible amount of work to create, like the hardest thing I've ever done. And then even promoting it's not, it's very confronting. But I sort of like talking about mental illness more because it seems like it's rather a challenge getting it the uh, relevant airspace in today's society because it's, I don't know, just the topic that sort of terrifies people and makes them the most uncomfortable. Which is fair enough because it is a it's really complicated and it's really upsetting. So I guess having this format of um, being able to talk about it in the light of um, I like the idea of humanising schizophrenia and going, you know, it's not always just the crazy person on the bus. Or mm. It's also just my lovely mum lying on the bed giggling to herself, which is very strange. <laughs> But it's also very normal when you've grown up with it. Mm. And, and that was just mum had voices in her head and she would disappear into her own world and I'd be going, hey, mum, do you want to get up? Mum, maybe you should come and cook tea. And she'd say, in five minutes, dear. And I'd wander off and go, hmm, how can I secretly figure out the cure to fix mum? I'll go and jump on my trampoline for a while and have another go. And then I'd come back and I just think that's a really, it's just a kind of fascinating story and it, it's a really important subject that affects so many people. Mm. And again, I get the emails of people, everyone who's had mental illness in their life gets to come out of the closet and go, hey, Justin, I'm like, <laughs> I grew up in a similar thing and I've never talked about it. And it, No one's ever talked about it, myself included, much. I, I, was, I kept it quite secret mm. because where do you begin yeah. talking about this, this world of pain you're probably carrying around? Um, so... And it's a really I challenging I've just, one. This yeah. is sort of this has been my kick kickstart. My I don't know, sort of my coming out and going, "Hey, everyone, I had this huge thing happen to me, and it's you know ongoing, and my mum's still alive, and she's wonderful, and I'm 
still managing the fallout of it all and my own mental health, which is a, you know, it's fun and games on any given day. So, you know, I suppose it's nice to, um, I'm just keen to keep the conversation going. And, and the event at Fitzroy Town Hall is a bit of a show and tell where people can come into my 90s rumpus room and I can play some of the tapes um, <laughs> with the reliable, sharp boombox uh, technology <laughs> and, and show you some pictures of my grade 7 diary and, and also just, um, I don't know, it's just, it's just not often you have, get to hear someone like have the time to tell their full story of what it's like to live with a a loved one with mental illness and and because it's it's heartbreaking right so it's just very difficult to a talk about and even b listen to but i just think i'm trying to create some kind of space where we can do that and it feels cool i definitely think it sounds it sounds like you've done that and just thank you so much for giving us a, a taste of this and what we can expect at the fitzroy town hall on the 6th of April. If you want to find out more about that, I'm sure you can go to the City of Yarra Library's site. Um, I'd like to thank both of my wonderful guests, uh, uh, Danai uh, and Justin Hazelwood. Thank you so much for coming on Backstory today. Get the muzzies. There's a muzzie there above your head, Mel. <laughs> Um, that was uh, Justin Hazelwood and uh, Danae Bosler who came in to talk about uh, this incredible Writers' Festival that's coming up on the 6th of April at uh, Fitzroy Town Hall. Um, that's just about all I have got time for. I'd also like to thank my earlier guests, Monica Ducks, Amy Gray and Lou Swin, who came in to talk about Choice Words, uh, a book about abortion, which is out now. Three, triple, ah. You've been listening to Backstory, the show about books, the craft of writing, and the people behind the lines. I'm Mel Cranenberg, and if you like what you've heard, you can listen to the live version of the show, Wednesdays at 12 on Triple R. Join the stream on the Triple R website, or subscribe to this podcast in your favourite podcatcher. Thanks for listening. Join me again soon. This has been a podcast from 3RRR 102.7 FM in Melbourne. Truly independent community radio. Want to hear more? Check out our website at rrr.org.au.